Blog Talk Radio. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm so excited that you've joined me today. Let me start by telling longtime listeners that this show is going to be shorter than an hour. So if you have planned your exercise routine around the podcast, <laughs> or you have planned whatever it is that you do while you listen, Today is going to be shorter. I think we'll have about a 30-minute show. And that's just because I'm experimenting with some different formats. Sometimes I kind of get stuck with a podcast topic and think, well, I can't make that last an hour. What should I do? So today we're just going to experiment with a shorter time and see what happens, okay? Let me go ahead, too, and remind you guys of a couple of things uh, that I've mentioned on the last few shows, but I want to go ahead and talk about it today, too. We're getting a facelift on teachmetotalk.com, and I am thrilled about that. So in the next month or so, you should see some big changes over there. We're keeping our, our uh, features that people seem to love, though, that, that didn't work for a long time. Comments are coming back, and I am thrilled about that because I know parents and therapists, and again, remember that we're not just a little... Um, <laughs> United States website anymore, teachmetotalk.com, is viewed and read and products used by parents and professionals all over the world. And I love that sense of um, community that parents get when they can ask a question and that professionals get. And I get emails every day from speech pathologists, again, all over the world. Today, someone from Spain emailed me. And I just love that. So again, I'm excited that comments are coming back on the site so that you guys can now still read all the stuff that I get to read via email, and uh, again, I just can't be happier about that. Uh, we're also looking at getting some different tracks on the website, so some things that are just for professionals, some things that are just for parents. So we're also going to have some new products coming out that will address uh, one group or the other. Now, certainly our courses right now that we have for ASHA or the American Speech and Hearing Association, those are really for professionals. But let me just caution you when those tracks kind of come through. <laughs> Sometimes my very best professional information that I've ever gleaned has started from me reading an article that was meant for parents. And why is that? It's because then I know what to say. I know how to explain it to a parent. I know a way to talk about it that's not as academic, and so it makes more sense. So again, just kind of wanted to throw that out there so you can start thinking about it. A lot of you will get uh, email invitations or, or uh, invitations to subscribe um, to teachmetotalk.com again, and I hope that you'll take advantage of that. And we're going to have some freebies to make that a little more um, appealing. Uh, for lack of a better word, too. So, so keep a lookout at our website. Is again getting that update, and I am so excited about that. I mentioned the ASHA CEU credits. If you own TeachMeToTalk.com DVDs and you have not already uh, completed those forms to get your ASHA credit, what are you waiting on? <laughs> You've already done the work to get your CEUs. So check that out. And I hope that you'll take advantage of that because that's something that people have asked me about for a long, long time. And now we've, we've got that available. And so don't get left out on that. If you've already seen Teach Me to Talk, the DVD, or Teach Me to Listen in a Bay 1 and 2, 
or Teach Me to Talk with Apraxia and Phenological Disorders, get your ASHA CEUs or, or your state CEUs or whatever you use. Uh, you'll get a certificate of participation and you'll be able to turn that in whether you're applying for um, licensure or maybe it's your early intervention credentialing process, whatever you need. But if you've already watched those DVDs, you might as well get credit for it. So I wanted to mention that. Okay, today's topic I just love. <laughs> I got an email from a speech pathologist last week, and as soon as I read it, I thought, okay, there it is. I've got some other podcast topics, but this one's going to the front of the line because I think it's so relevant and it's so real and it's so in the trenches. And so I want to read you her email and then we'll just kind of talk about what my answers to her are the email too as I read it or as I give my responses you know that'll create some other kinds of questions and some other other topics for discussion and we'll kind of go through that too but let's just start with her email and this is a speech pathologist uh, let's see I'm not going to give her name. She, I don't know if I asked her if it was okay to give her name, so I'm not going to do it. But this is what she says. She says um, she's writing to thank me for the books that she just ordered, those therapy manuals, and she said she loves them. She said it's such useful information to share with parents too. And then she says, I have a question regarding problems that arise in therapy, and it might be a simple, obvious answer, but I'm going to ask anyway. I have some kids who were obsessed with my bag of tricks that I bring to therapy. Since I'm an early intervention SLP, I go to the natural environment. Now, for those of you who are moms, you might be thinking, what does a term like natural environment mean? That just means she goes wherever the kid would automatically be on therapy day. So if he's home, she goes home. If he's at grandma's house, she goes to grandma's house. If he goes to daycare, she goes to daycare. If it's dad's week with custody with him, she goes to dad's house so wherever he would be that's all natural environment means it means that she's going out to see kids they're not necessarily coming into a center environment or an office or clinical environment to see her so she says I suppose I could just put the bag out of sight but it's so convenient to have it near me to quickly switch activities should I just put it out of sight and then she said today it was so bad with this one little guy that I had to put everything out on the front porch she said then he was going through my personal bag. So I guess she kept the bag inside with her with maybe her notebook or her maybe her computer if she's doing her notes in a session. I don't know. Maybe it was her purse. Maybe this kid was going through her purse. And then she goes on to say, he was like a monkey crawling all over me. I've never had a child crawl on me so much. It seemed as if he was climbing on me because he could not communicate, and that was his way of communicating. Any thoughts? This is a new child, and he is dumping me. Well, let me just say, I have seen children like that. And actually, she's, she has several different issues or questions within this one email. But let's start just by talking about the first one that she said. She says, you know, I have that toy bag, but some kids get so obsessed with the bag what do you do? And I'm sure if you have worked in a home visit setting, or even if you're in a clinic setting, even if, you know, now that uh, I primarily see children, um, I see some local kids, but the, the majority of my practice are families coming in from out of state for a second or third or fourth or 15th opinion. <laughs> so they're bringing their kids to see me. Um, and I, I use, even though I have this beautiful office and, and certainly have 
shelves and things located for toys. I still kind of like putting them in my bag because I think it lends itself really well to being able to just bring out one thing at a time and use it with the kid and then put it back. Sometimes we'll get kids, though, even more than sometimes, many, many times, we get children who become more obsessed with emptying the bag than they even do with playing with the toys. It's kind of like they want to see what all their options are before they pick. Some kids, it's just they want to open it and, and they stick with it for about five seconds, but then they have that kind of, this is always greener <laughs> attitude. You know what I'm talking about? They're not quite happy enough with that. So they're like, what else you have? What else is in there? And then that becomes the focus of the session. It's not completing one thing at a time. It's not enjoying what you have out. It all becomes about dig, 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 dig. Let's get all that out there so I can see it. Or even, you know, look at it for two seconds and then immediately move on. So what do you do with kids like that? And, again, I've seen it a lot. And sometimes, most of the time it happens because that's just the kid's kind of internal programming. He's kind of like that a lot anyway. If you watched him at the grocery store, he's probably the kid, unless mom has him built it in that the front part of that cart, he's the kid who's trying to jump in the back. And the kid who, if mom does have him in the back, he's trying to crawl out. If mom has him out, he's trying to crawl in the buggy. He's he's clearing the aisle with his, the shelves with his little hand. You know what I mean? He's reaching up and grabbing everything. He's running away from mom. If she holds him, he fights to get down. Some of those kids kind of fight to let mom make mom hold them, you know, when they're doing the shopping. So, again, it's sometimes we think about it being related to the toy bag, but it's probably not. If we watch the kid in other settings, that's how he would look too. And so, and let me just say, we can't make, we can make some general statements, but really every time this sort of happens with the kid, you're going to have to analyze what's going on with that specific child. I can just talk about it in generalities and certainly um, – it's going to be relative and applicable to every single kid that you see. But let's just kind of talk about it in big terms, and then you figure out what works for the, the particular kid that you are trying to think about. And that would be a disclaimer for everything we talk about on this show, right? <laughs> and, again, that's why we get paid. That's the cool part about this job. This is not a cookbook job. You know, we have to really use our clinical judgment and, and, and be a detective and figure out, you know, what caused this for this child and what can I do to make it different and what recommendations can I make to mom and how did this work in this session? Is that the same that works in real life? And, all again, all of those things that make this job so incredibly fun and cool because there are all these variables. All right. But once again, I digress. Let's go back to a lot of times with these kids that's just kind of their internal programming with I just want to search, search, search. And I think about these kids, too, as kids maybe who stay in that constant state of overstimulation. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, and, you know, I hate going off on technology again on this show, but that's what the research is telling us happens to children who watch too much TV. They are constantly uh, accustomed to having that changing visual environment. And think about that. So if your kid is sitting in front of TV and he's watching a DVD, even a, a you know, what's supposed to be an educational DVD but, or, or a little show, a cartoon, what happens? 
every five seconds or so. Usually it's that picture changes. They change. If they're showing real people, and most of the time they're not, but, you know, there's a new, uh, even if it's a show with, with real kids or whatever, there's a different camera angle. There's a close-up. There's a, they change shots from character to character. Um, you know, again, every, almost every time you blink, there's a new picture there. And that's why these kinds of kids really like TV. Now, sometimes their parents are lulled into thinking that's the only time they're calm and their bodies may be sitting during that time. But let me just tell you, their little brains are having to process, process, process to take all of that in. And what we're really doing when we overuse TV or videos or games or apps or whatever, we're training those little brains to scan, shift, scan, shift, scan, shift. So we're kind of teaching them that that's, what you do and that that's the routine and that that's, that's the only thing that's fun is kind of being on that constant go, 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 go. And again, when they're watching TV and sitting in front of the TV, you may not see that physical activity, but you certainly know that that's what's going on in their little brains. And a lot of times it's not even their pro that they're processing what's happening. They're just alerting to it. So they're fixated on the TV with their little eyes, but really they still may not be learning very much or understanding very much because all they're doing is kind of keeping up with those really fast-paced visual changes. So take a kid like that and then put him in the real world, and sometimes that seems kind of boring to him because he's had that constant input, 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 and then you expect him to sit and play with you with blocks for five minutes, and that's just not quite fun enough. So he has to kind of move on because that's what his little brain has been trained to do. So, again, if we look at some of these kids, that internal pattern is already there. And it really has very little to do with the toy bag, although a lot of people will kind of blame it on the toy bag. And for these kinds of – again, if you're a long-time listener of the show, you may be surprised with, with what I say next. For those kinds of kids, you probably do need to put the toy bag away for a little while and really help them learn how to interact and how to focus and how to play together without something else there or without the need for that search, 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 search. And again, I, you know, I like playing with kids and I like using toys, but for some of our little guys, that's too much. It's just overstimulating. It's overwhelming. So we're not going to be able to use it with that particular child. Um, and so what do you do in that situation? Well, I like what she said. She said that she, you know, she's saying, well, what should I do for these kids? Should I put it away completely? And for some of those kids, like I've already said, you really are going to have to do that. For some kids, it'll kind of be, though, a happy medium where you may um, have things that are that that you only maybe use a couple of different things in a session so that they kind of learn you know there's not going to be something new every you know two seconds that you're really going to play with this stuff first and then get all the way through it and that's why I talk a lot about every routine having a beginning a middle and an end so for the kids that you that you think if I just really kind of limit what what's available um, 
you know, is that going to make a difference? And for some kids it will. For some kids, let's kind of go back to the beginning. I've sort of gotten off here. For some kids you do need to totally put the toy bag away and you will be their toy. <laughs> you will be what they interact with. So for those kids you're not going to bring anything in. And, again, you may not even be getting anything out. And I know there's a big push now for don't take anything into a kid's home, use what they already have, blah, 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 blah. For some kids, that still may be overstimulating. And the big thing for them is going to be to learn how to interact with you and how to play with you as their primary person. And again, why are you doing that? Are you doing that so that you can establish the relationship with the child and become the best friend and become the event of the week and blah, 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 blah? No, not really. You're really doing it to figure out what works so you can show mom what works. And again, so that you can get that your new little friend to the point where they can learn from you. Because if it becomes all about the toys and all about ripping everything out of your bag and just kind of perusing the activities and none of it ever seems to kind of satisfy what they really want, you know, then that's not been a productive strategy for you anyway. So those darn toys have kind of hindered what your real purpose is, which is to teach them something. And if you're a speech-language pathologist, it's how to understand and use words. And so sometimes with those kids, again, the toy bag has become a barrier <laughs> to those kids learning. And to those kids, again, uh, the whole basis for communication is person to person. And so you've got to take the toys out of that whole, uh, out of the equation before you would even have a prayer or a hope of accomplishing what, you're, what you want your goal to be. So for those, let's kind of talk about that, that group of kids where you're going to have to put everything away and really not even, not even use what's even there in their homes anyway. So this would be the whole, the person is the toy thing. And so some of you are quite good at understanding how to do that and what I mean by that. And then some of us have to really work you think, well, if I'm not going to have toys, what the heck am I going to do? <laughs> I'm there to teach him. What do I use if I don't have toys? How can I do that? You really can be quite successful with that. And that is really getting yourself a core set of social games that you can use with any kid, any time, any place, no matter what's going on. And when I teach this section, uh, in a course, I always tell therapists, you need to have your own 10 go-to games that you hardly need any materials for, that you know, you know, in your mind when you are struggling, when you need something else to do in a session, when things have taken a turn for the worse, when when you go into a home and there are no toys to play with or when you get a kid like this who seems so obsessed with the objects that he doesn't include the people, you know, you really need at least 10 games that you can pull out of your hat and that you know without a doubt that you can do with a variety of children and that you are really good at not only using the children getting some good results, getting some interaction going, thinking through those steps of why this game is important or what are my goals here, how can I modify this game so that these, this particular child with his little array of strengths and weaknesses, 
you know, you've got to own these games so that you can make them applicable to lots and lots of different kids. And then you've got to get to the point where you can teach that to mom and dad. And again, explain to mom and dad why this works with this particular child, with their child. Because again, they don't care about all your years of experience. They don't care how many other kids you've seen. <laughs> and what's worked and what hasn't worked, really, they only care about what you can do for them with their child. And that's just the bottom line. And that really is all any of us ever really care about. What's in it for us? And so you've got to get to the point again where you can where you can demonstrate it with, with the kid and not just tell a mom, look, I want you to play this game and guess what, I'll be back next week to see how that went. You can't do that. You've got to be able to use the little games with the child, tell mom why it worked or why it didn't work, make your modifications, teach it to mom, Make sure she knows how to do it, usually by letting her play with you and doing it with you and you guys kind of walking through that together if she'll let you. And then next week talking about how it went for them during the week. And so, again, social games here can really kind of save you. So let's just talk about why, again, these kinds of things may work. And let's relate it back to... Um, this speech pathologist's original question. She described, and again, so real when she wrote this, she said she felt like the child was a monkey crawling all over her. Now, I don't want anybody to get offended by that statement or take that out of context or anything like that. She was just being real in a personal email to me. And again, I am I, I think that was a beautiful description <laughs> to let me know exactly what was going on. Have you ever felt that way where you've had a kid so on you that you were just like, what am I going to do here? You know, and we have to think about why a child is doing that. Um, and again, usually it's that pattern that we talked about before. It's he's in that search, 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 search mode, and he just needs something to help him feel like he's, like he knows where his little body is or like he's accomplished his goal or he's found the answer to his problem or the the answer to his question or he's found something to do that he's looking for. And I just think about kids like that in that situation. They just seem so desperate and so out of control and so, um, you know, just gimme, 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 gimme. Now, for some adults, that can make a, that can make some therapists uncomfortable. Because you may feel like, I don't know what's going on here. This is so unpredictable to me. I, for some people um, who work with young children, that may even make you uncomfortable because there's too much physical contact there and you feel like, you know, you just want to let your fight or flight kick in and you're thinking, I'm going to do everything I can to get this kid off me. Thank goodness most of us who work in early intervention are comfortable with kids kind of on us and climbing on us. And again, I don't know the therapist personally that wrote this letter at all. This might have been the first time that kind of intensity had ever happened to her. And that's okay because she'll kind of get used to it. You don't have these kinds of kids all the time, but you do have them often enough that you start to kind of see the pattern and recognize it when it happens. I think these kids really do calm down with a lot of body-on-body -body contact. And, and OT taught me that term a long time ago. You know, I was just thinking about, well, I'm just loving on him. <laughs> or I'm just, you know, this is what he does with his mom, so he wants to do it with me. He likes me. He, he, he thinks I'm fine. You know, that kind of thing. 
re- that could be it, but really it's just that they need that physical closeness to settle down. And we all know babies like that. Most babies are like that when they come, when they're born, right? They crave that physical contact, that closeness, that connection, that that whatever. We don't think about it in terms of academics like we do now. We weren't as fancy <laughs> then when we were thinking about their regulatory systems and, again, the whole body-on-body contact. We were just thinking this tiny little baby needs me to hold him so he feels safe and secure. And I think about our little two-year-old friends like that in the situation, uh, sometimes in that same kind of way, don't you? Where they really need that that peace to feel like they are okay. So what are some things you can do beyond just sitting and holding them? And if you, again, if that's your style, um, if you want to just kind of hold the kid and sing, that's fine. If you want to hold the kid, if that kind of kid would calm down enough to read a book with you, that's fine. But some kids aren't going to do that. You're going to need to be a little bit more fun and need to incorporate that that sense that they're seeking something within another activity. So, again, let's talk about some of those little social games that you can do. I think uh, ride a little horsey a big one that you can do because you're putting kids on your lap right there. You're bouncing them, so you're giving them that movement piece. They're pretty close to you if you have them seated on your lap and you're on the floor. So you could do something like that. If um, they really, really, really need the whole bear hug kind of uh, piece to that, you could certainly do some swinging with them held really, really close to your body. Um, and so they're feeling you could play kind of an up-down game where you're holding them, again, really, really close, and you're saying up, 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 and then, you know, fall down and sit on a chair. Or if you can get all the way to the ground and then get back up while holding them, do that. I, I could do that in my 20s and 30s. Now I'm in my late 40s, and that I probably can't do that <laughs> as easily as I could before. But anything where you're kind of holding them and then um, – you know, not holding as closely, that whole, that whole little piece. Any kind of little tickle game or chase game where you're away from them and then the whole bag is for you to catch them and hold them real tight or, again, tickle them or whatever. Like. Anything like that, any kind of little song where you're rocking together. And, again, we know that new babies like this. We know that our younger infants like it. And sometimes our little guys in early intervention are still kind of in that place where they're still feeling that and still craving that kind of physical closeness. So you may do something like that. So any little game that you can come up with, you might do a flying game. You're going to hold them, you know, and count as you, you know, one, two, three, as you're holding them closely, and then gently toss them on a couch or a bed or a chair. So anything like that, and you've got that physical closeness where you're going to hold them, hold them, hold them, and let them go. That would be something I would do. Now, a lot of those kids also really love uh, the movement piece with it. So you could, with those kids, you fling them in a blanket and learn how to do that by yourself. You you can do it with another person and say, mom or dad, you know, my goodness, I hope those parents are right there with you in the therapy session. That should, that's kind of a given for me. I don't, that's not it. You know, it's something that 
in the past 15 years, I'm not sure I've done a therapy session without parents being there with me. But sometimes I know that that still happens during home visits. But you could certainly swing a kid with a parent, or I like to show them to, how to do it on my own so they don't feel like they always have to have another person there. So you can put most two-year-olds in a blanket and hold, you know, gather the corners and hold the corners on the left side in your left hand and the corners on the right side in your right hand and really swing that kid by yourself in the blanket. And what happens to the child? He's wrapped up in there. He's totally enveloped in that space. And so that feels good, and that's that same kind of calming uh, movement that he probably really, really craves. So you might try that. You might try jumping on a bed with those kids or jumping on and off the couch. So, again, that movement piece is what's really, 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 really going um, to work with him. Let me just say, I can't believe it's been the end of 30 minutes. I guess that's why this show is usually an hour, because I can't possibly say <laughs> everything I need to say in about even a simple topic like this in 30 minutes. So I guess my experiment has failed. Let me just wrap this up, though, by saying, and again, I could probably do two more hours on this subject, but we're not. All of those ideas that I've given you, if you need more structure with that or if you think, okay, that's a starting point, but I still don't really understand how to do it, let me give you some resources. My book, Teach Me to Play With You, will walk you through all of those little games and provide those goals, give you a script of what to do and then what to say to parents so that you can play those kinds of things. And all of my books are written in a homework format so that for a game like Another game that would be great for this kind of kid, Ring Around the Rosies. For a game like Ring Around the Rosies, the instructions are written out. It tells you the words if you've forgotten how to play that game. And then, again, when you play that with mom and dad in a session, you've already copied those pages of the book. So you can give that to mom and dad and say, here's how to play. And here's, you know, this is what we did today. And you saw how well it worked. And it worked because of the movement piece because he really, really, really uh, – needs to learn to interact and engage with me and have fun with another person instead of always looking for something else to do. And these kinds of games are a fun way to kind of provide that that stimulation for him or that opportunity for him. And we're also teaching him to understand and use words with that. And so, again, it gives you your script and your framework of being able to talk to a parent about that and explain to a parent What's going on with that? And then if it didn't work, then it's going to give you some other options so that you can say, well, that that game was not successful with him. What did I do wrong? What can I try differently? What might be another way? So, again, it's a super, super resource. And if you don't have much experience with you being the toy in the therapy session <laughs> rather than the child, I think it's a great resource for you to have because it will get you on the right track. All right. So I am going to go ahead and close out today's. 34-minute show or however long it's been. Next week, guys, we're going back to an hour, okay, <laughs> because I didn't talk about nearly the things that I wanted to talk about with this topic. We need to address that whole sensory processing piece, talk about what the heck's going on with the research with sensory strategies and why some people are, are not thinking that those are worth uh, using anymore and why some, again, we'll talk about the study that's kind of uh, – did this last round of hoopla 
with uh, around central integration therapy. All right, so that's it for this week for our abbreviated show. Thanks so much for hanging in there with me, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.